Welcome back to NALP's Young Professionals Network podcast, Growing in the Green Industry. Your hosts of today's episode include myself, Neil Glatt with Grow the Bench, Luke Melagrano from Mariani Landscape, and Brett Lemke from RM Landscape. How are you guys doing today? Good afternoon. How's it going, Neil? I'm good. How are you? Good. Winter's back with a vengeance. <laughs> I'm, I'm the only one happy about this because I no longer plow, I guess. So. Yeah, you're, you're no. probably loving it. You probably go to bed at night and are just like, oh, I'm going to sleep all the way, you know, eight, nine in the morning and the rest of us are all waking up at midnight, 1 a.m. <laughs> yeah, I'm, pretty much. I'm excited. I, I'm very happy to see it back. It was, it's just boring when it's gray. You need some good old snow and not mud and all that. So I'll, yeah, I'm very happy. So, uh, Brett, would you like to introduce our guest today? Yeah, uh, we have Mick uh, here with us today and is president of, let me, I didn't even ask, Mulhalls. How, is he, how do you say it? Yeah, Mulhalls. Mulhalls. All right. I forgot to ask ahead of that. Uh, and an uh, Omaha, Nebraska-based family of the green industry business. Mick's grandfather immigrated from Ireland in 1953 to landscape. And now, three generations later, the team at Mulhalls is as committed as they ever to be making Omaha a more beautiful place to live. Today, there are a few hundred people, but the focus remains the same, working together to engage their community and to share their passion for the beauty and the importance of the natural world. That is just a, you know, it's a low task, easy thing to grab. I'm sure you've done it already, right? So welcome, Mick. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. That, I like that mission. I like those focuses there. Yeah, same. Well, we uh, we want to hear a little bit of your story. Uh, that's always been a helpful part to kick it off. Uh, family business, love hearing those elements of it. You've got a rich history and in a really cool part of the country. So why don't you share a little bit about, about your story? Yeah, no, thank you. And uh, thanks for having me here. This is cool. It's uh, I like podcasts and it's, it's nice to have one about uh, about things I'm directly interested in. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm third generation in our family business. The way, way we talk about it, kind of incidentally, a family business. Um, you know, my grandpa was a gardener. Um, he was actually the gardener at the, uh, the American ambassador's residence to Ireland um, in the 50s. And the American ambassador at the time was from Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, my grandma was the head cook. They married there. And uh, the ambassador said they should move to the United States. Uh, they're from very rural Ireland. They said, that'd be cool. Um, and he said, yes, you should move to Omaha, Nebraska specifically. They said, that sounds cool. And uh, they did. And so, so he, um, they moved here in their thirties um, and he mowed lawns. He actually went to work for the city and then he, he, he uh, became the groundskeeper at, at Creighton University. Um, that would have been in the late fifties, moonlighted, uh, started selling plants out of his garage. And, um, you know, as we kind of think about the story, uh, you know, he, he kind of incidentally became a business person, right? And, and, and so this business kind of grew up around it. He just liked what he did and he liked to talk to people. Had some kids, they came back to the business and, and, and uh, you know, he was an immigrant and a, and a landscaper. And I think that my dad and uncle who came to work for him really carried forward like the immigrant legacy, you know, working hard and professionalizing, and legitimizing the business. And, and I grew up in it and I'm probably more the gardener. And so that's kind of how we think about what we're trying to do now is, is, you know, grateful, super grateful for the platform that they built 
and the, the financial discipline and the planning and all that stuff, but how do we kind of return it back to, to where we come from and focus on that? And make the business today is a nursery as well as a commercial landscape uh, service? Yeah, yeah. So we, we kind of, we, we think of it as a, we talk the most about the problem we're trying to solve, right? So the problem we're trying to solve is, is to make our community more beautiful, right? As an argument for, you know, uh, getting closer to and preserving and protecting the natural world. And so we have a few hundred people now that have committed their careers to that problem here in Omaha. And, and the way that we address that problem is in these different business units. And so, yeah, we've got a kind of a garden retail distribution thing and, and, and a commercial, uh, commercial landscaping business. We, we grow some plants too. And do you work in one of those more often than the others or are you overseeing all three? Yeah, I, I, uh, I overseeing is probably more my job today. I'm, I'm the president of the company today um, and the combined company. And so I, I sit in email, I, I sit in, I sit in meetings and I email full time, which I feel like I was somewhat duped into. I didn't expect that when I came back here. Right. But it's cool. So Mick did, uh, as you were growing up, uh, you know, obviously family business, did you always know you were going to go down this path? Did you venture out into something different for a little while and then circle back to working within the family business? How did your, uh, how did you end up within, you know, being a landscaper in, uh, in, in the gardening world? Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great question. I actually, um, I suppose there's two ways to do it, right? Most people would encourage you to work somewhere else. I never actually really did, which is funny to think about because I never planned to work here, you know, forever. And so um, it was always understood in our family that uh, you, you got asked to come back to the business. You didn't ask. Um, and we were kind of raised that way. And so um, I, I wanted to be a, a mechanical engineer and I wanted to uh, work in the energy space and a friend of mine's dad did that and that sounded cool. Um, and so I, I kind of went to college for that and I studied that for a bit, but uh, about my sophomore year of college, not about my sophomore year of college, um, I kind of realized I didn't want to do that. Came home, spent a summer landscaping. I always, from 13 to 16, I worked in our, our store selling like trees and shrubs and stuff. I got in a lot of trouble. There's probably a story there. And so that's why I started working pretty young. And then from about six, as soon as I had a driver's license forward, I worked in our landscape trucks and that was in the H2B days for us. And that summer spending, you know, we used to work a lot back then. So call it, you know, 80 hours a week with a couple middle-aged dudes whose, you know, main house was in Mexico. Learned a lot about what it meant to like actually enjoy the day. And, and that summer I, I decided that, yeah, this is, this is, this is what I, this is definitely more meaningful than anything I've participated in. And, and, and I want to, I want to commit my career to this. And so I went and I, I told my, my dad and mom that, and uh, my dad was like, well, that's interesting. Um, I plan to do this for a long time. I know your skill set. Why don't you become a landscape architect? So I actually kind of set out to do that. Um, was planning to do a master, I, planning to do a master's degree in it, and then I got a phone call in October of 2013. Hey, this person quit. We're going to try to replace them, but if you want to do it, you should. And I was 23 and impulsive. I probably shouldn't have negotiated harder. Instead, I loaded all my stuff into a U-Haul and drove home. And yeah, now <laughs> that was been seven years. 
There's no negotiating with family. You were no, there, there's they not. already had that plan figured out for you. I mean, yeah. it really didn't even wasn't even a question, I think. Exactly. So make your whole approach to here's the problem we're trying to solve. Um, I don't know it, if it's necessarily unique, but it resonates differently when you say it um, than, than the way a lot of people talk about, right? And I think that, you know, when I go to your website, when I look at the way that you're engaging with customers in the community, it feels um, super authentic and you're doing it in a couple different ways. You want to talk a little bit about how you're serving your community, not just, you know, um, donations or projects as a give back and not just, you know, for the actual customer's needs, but um, kind of describe a little bit more about this, I would say, obsession with this problem you're trying to solve and, and how it ends up with these pop-ups and photo contests and all these things you've got going on. Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. Yeah, I... I... I suppose that my sophomore year of college, so I, I kind of, part of the immigrant legacy is my, my grandmother's father died. I'm gonna take this way back, but I promise I'll answer your question. Um, my, my grandma's father died when she was 13 and, and in the thirties in Ireland, in rural Ireland, uh, that was a, uh, there was no kind of um, safety net, right? And so their family got, got split up and uh, she had to leave school. She had to go work in large houses, right? As, a, as like a, a maid. She did that up until she was the cook and, and met my grandpa. Um, and so her, her main life's goal was for her children to go to college. And she did that. And, and, and then my, my father um, and, and mother kind of continued that legacy and, and, and sent me to college. And um, growing up Irish Catholic, right, I kind of went to the Catholic high school and I went to this Catholic university, right? And there's kind of this like clear path of what I was kind of expected to do. And so I never really had to ask the question about like, um, and this is me personally, like, like, why am I doing any of this, right? They just kind of tell you what classes to take and you just kind of like do it. And if you're good enough at math, like people don't ask a lot of questions, right? And uh, about my sophomore year of college, that kind of broke for me, right? Like I, I remember where I was um, and, and it was like, oh man, like I don't really like any of this at all. I went to a career fair and I was meeting with a bunch of people in mechanical in the mechanical engineering space. And I remember one conversation particularly about like recycling coal waste. It's like, man, like, and it was kind of a, a harrowing thing. And so I went home knowing that isn't what I wanted to do, but have, realizing how little idea I had about what I actually wanted to do. Now I'd, I'd grown up working at this business, right? Every summer I was like plants and plant things. But then working that summer with these couple guys, names were Juan and Miguel, it just became really, really clear to me that like, um, not only is this the most meaningful thing that I've ever done, but honestly, like thinking more about the people who I went to college with, thinking more about the people that maybe I went to, thinking about who I was in college, thinking about who I was in high school, like these guys know what they're about. And like, they're actually making a positive difference in the lives of people who they're never even gonna meet, right? Um, in their cases, hundreds of miles away from their families, right? Because they're, they're H2B. And so I, at that point, um, I kind of made the decision to start building meaning kind of in this space. Like it became clear to me, this is the most meaningful thing in my life. And I think to that point, I'd been kind of led to believe that meaning is something kind of like unveiled to you as opposed to something that you build, right? 
And so I started building it at that point. And, and, and when I started to do that, like I started to notice, holy cow, like this is actually what has made this business, this business for as long as it's endured. Like if you ever come tour our place, it's when people come to work for us, they, they kind of like, they get into it and they're like, wait, what? Like, surely there's more process here. Like, where's the person who actually knows what's going on? It's like, I don't, we just give a shit. I don't know what else to like, <laughs> we try hard. Right. And, um, and so I think that the last, the last few years have really been kind of like testing how, how powerful can that be? Right. And so when we think about, you know, what does it mean to um, like to landscape or, you know, um, that's fun and it's interesting and it's fun to be competitive, but I think what really keeps people showing back up here is kind of like that greater purpose. And then all the, the pop-ups are like, you know, this, this, uh, we got to mow, uh, a large kind of, um, Omaha. There's like an O with exclamation point into a, a large, you know, kind of, uh, um, development that, that we take care of. And, you know, like those little things you do are super fun, but incidental to kind of the reason that we all keep wanting to do this. I don't know if that, I hope that answers your question. Well, I mean, um, absolutely. Right. I, I think in, in my world, um, which intersects because I'm, I'm a Gallup coach, right. Which is obviously Omaha and, um, you know, we call it engagement and, and personally I, I take a more scientific approach to it, right. Measure how committed people are, but at the end of the day, it is that, that thing. And, you know, I've been involved in, in a company that was ISO certified. So we had a process for everything and it had to be followed. And, and it sounds like that's pretty opposite from the way that, you know, you, you start with your process. Um, but it doesn't matter, right? Like that's a cultural difference, not a predictor of outcome. And what is a predictor of, of outcome in terms of profit and retention and at the end of the day, fulfillment in a career is going to be that level of commitment to the purpose and to each other as a team. Right. And so, um, but it's absolutely buildable, like you say. Yeah. And um, I love, I love the, I love the Gallup framework. Right. And like, um, we're, we are, we are a pretty process company, but this is what you're going to hear first. Right. And I think it's about how, how kind of how you come at process, like who does the process serve? Right. And, 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 and can the process serve, right. The, the, you know, a deep belief in the creative resources of the frontline worker. Right. So for us, you know, like coming at process that way, look, we have processes so that everybody can make a big impact on the business as opposed to please be quiet and do what I say, because I've been doing this longer. Uh, you know, a lot of times I see companies trying to implement process because they haven't figured out how to get their people committed enough to actually get the job done. Right. And exactly. so the process is a bandaid and that's, that is the wrong way to go about it. Um, the process is a way to help scale, help provide consistency, um, you know, help take those great ideas that engaged individuals have had and bring them uh, to everybody. Right. And then to show that, look, so long as it's defined and you know where it comes from, right. You understand the why underneath your processes. Like I really like how Toyota thinks about it. Right then anyone can participate so long as you're willing to really think through why this exists, right? You do put uh, a fair bit of emphasis on it because I just saw on the website earlier today, you have a process architect uh, at least listed there. And so 
you've put dedicated resources and you call out that as a function of the job as much as field managers, fleet managers and shop. And, uh, and, and that kind of emphasis, I think that has to resonate pretty, pretty well around the organization that there's, it's a real, real role, living person, living being. Yeah, for sure. But always hedge it like, but, but fight the creep of bureaucracy, right? Like, like what made this place, this place was just, I mean, just hustle. And so process only when it encourages hustle, as opposed to being some kind of like a, I don't know, some, the process begetting process. Well, and this industry would just sort of grab onto that really well, right? Because we all started that way. We just work harder, work faster, measure everybody by that same level and things are going to be okay. But to sort of tie those two together and figure out how to translate that, you know, has a lot of value to, to this industry. Yeah, for sure. I like, I like this idea of, um, I was just talking to a friend about it yesterday. He, he talks about it in the context of a book called Predictable Success. Um, I know it from a, a book called Corporate Life Cycles, but I think they talk about the same thing where you, you kind of think about the arc of a business, kind of like a bell curve. And, um, and kind of at that top point, they see this kind of prime point. And then on one side of prime, you have flexibility, flexibility kind of being perverted potentially into chaos. And the other side, you have structure, structure being perverted eventually into bureaucracy. And the business is kind of this like just push and pull between flexibility and structure to try to find that prime point where you're, you are able to do things predictably and stably, but doing so in a way that actually makes space for kind of like the creative resources of, of, of particularly of the frontline employees. Yeah, like Toyota says that the biggest form of any waste in, any, in almost any business is the lack of engagement of the creative resources of the frontline employee. And like growing up here, like they know what, they actually know what's happening. I haven't landscaped in years. How do I know about it? A hundred percent. I get asked, I guess get asked all the time to help people with operations and it's like hard pass, man. You have way more answers than I could possibly come up with already working for you. You just have discouraged them from sharing their opinions in a constructive way. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the timing of this, it's, it's interesting just before this, uh, a meeting, uh, we have a, a team that is working on just sort of making our financials more visible. And uh, we've, we're just discussing what's working well, what's not working well, and, and it's sort of just a refocus. But the, the point someone brought up was that, you know, it, the, there are so many process focused and just analytical people on that. There's that lack of space for creativity. And, um, and I think even that group's like, well, I still don't know what you mean. Right. And so, cause they're just trying to process and analyze what that means. But to, to have that in there. And again, our industry has just so many dramatic uh, understandings of what creativity is. And so we have real life examples and just practical ways of putting, of seeing that and, and tying those two up. Um, and so I, I, I will be sharing this podcast with the group just to say, listen, just a couple triggers that will just keep you all in the frame of reference, right? That bell curve is important. And we all strive to be the, the, the Toyotas and process and the, the larger ones, but then they aren't someone going into that bureaucracy and place and, and the days of just three of us having fun. And, and like, we hear all these stories about, I just did this for beer money, right? That, that was probably chaos, but that worked at that level to some degree. Yeah. Right. So we're a different organizations and to be successful at this new, in this era, is that, is that prime area. 
Right. I, I feel like our, at least I, I can speak to our business and I, I look forward to getting to know the industry better. Um, but there's this kind of like creeping self-consciousness, right? Because we're a green industry business, right? We want like the other local businesses to think of us as a business. And I think that sometimes at least here um, over, you know, in the past, we have kind of uh, missed what makes us really good comparing ourselves to other people right? Like this kind of desire to be legitimized, right? This talk about like the professionalization of landscaping. And at least I think one of the most beautiful things about landscaping is just not that like, it's pretty clear what needs to happen. Like if we, we, we sell service. So if like happy people choose to work here and then we can charge our clients for those happy people to do a pretty narrow set of tasks, that if you like that aren't necessarily that hard to train, like good things happen over time. And like, I don't, I, I, I prefer to think of it that way. I don't, I don't, I mean, <laughs> like, I can see training over at the, at, your, at, the, at the garden center in the landscape really fast, ladies and gentlemen, it's got these rules and, and you get to that point really quick with that perspective. And it's just, uh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I, I like I like how yeah. I heard Bob Grover speak at a at a at a that thing once and I liked how he said it like just I think it was it was was it just don't F up the don't I forget how he put it, but the thesis was something to the effect of yeah. so long as the grass doesn't die, you don't get fired. It's don't screw up the landscaping, right? I mean it's it's yeah. it's way it's like just do a good enough job, right? And, and there's a vast opinion in that conver- in that room about that statement, right? Horticulture is about fell over and, oh, right, yeah. right, 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 like that lawn, <laughs> like that piece of turf can't have that kind of jagged, right? Something like that. But um, it'd be but yeah, nice. It, it's it's, it's be a nice. great show up on Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then we were in a conversation, and it's again that prime consideration comes into place because we have had conversations where. Like you're nice and all, and it's great to work with you and your team, but they're just not delivering those results, right? And right. so where is that happy piece to say that if you're so results orient, result oriented, but it wasn't a pleasure and you just overemphasize to, again, this is great. I love that person. I have them as a best friend, but you just can't figure out how to do it. There's, there's a- it, it just goes back to your customer and, and knowing what you're going to deliver, right? There's, there's a market for- those holder culturist focused companies who are just perfectionists at, at the plant material. Um, and it's not the market that most of us play in. Right. And there's a market for the companies that are super clean cut, quote unquote, professional. That's the arena that I played in for, for years was we were the best at reporting. We were the best at, you know, predictive, uh, service and, and preventing failures. Um, but it wasn't for, it, there were plenty of clients that we could never service because it wasn't important to them. Right. And, and when you can define your market and figure out exactly what's going to matter to them, then you're always going to knock it out of the park because your value is going to align with their desire. Otherwise they're paying for something they don't want. Right. And I, and I think that it, it also becomes a question of scale, right? I mean, it's a weird thing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm president of the company today in large part because my, my dad uh, who owned, 60% of the business uh, with his brother um, had a pretty big heart attack without a work for a long time, some, some complications from it. And, um, you know, and the business called the business like a, you know, some 400 people and change in our busiest season. Right. So um, 
there was no way I was going to know everything happening here, right? Like it was just scale enough to be really obvious to me that like, uh-oh, <laughs> a lot of other people actually run this place, right? And so I think that as I think about our business, growing our business, like how do we actually unlock that next level, right, of taking care of the grass better? If there is a hedgehog concept here, right, it's simply taking care of the people, right? This is beautiful work. It's a beautiful industry. We all work in this industry, like, why would somebody choose to work for company A, company B, or Mohals? And if the most talented people work at Mohals that want to commit their careers to the problem we're trying to solve, making our community more beautiful, and we're disciplined on pay, right? So we strive to pay in the top 25% of peer markets for all the positions we choose to, to hire for. Um, I'm willing to bet on us getting better over time if we can actually empower and support those people in doing that. I don't know what most of the people here, I couldn't do most of the people. I don't know if I could do anyone here's job besides mine anymore. I think that's such an advantage. And I think it's such a mistake when I hear people insist on hiring only people who come from a landscape background, um, who have this knowledge for positions like account managers, positions like operations managers, positions like fleet managers. Like you don't need to know turf science to manage 500 lawnmowers effectively, right? Um, and you're giving up your opportunity at so much talent. And then you have this, this other issue where there's like an illusion of control, right? If you'd walk in, you'd be like, I grew up in this industry. I know everything about it. I believe that I can do everybody's job at least adequately, if not better than most people, then you never get to that point of empowering the team, which is what's going to force them all to walk. Right. Right. And I think, and I think I, I really like that kind of finite infinite game construct. I know Simon Sinek's talking about it a lot now. I kind of came at it via the James Carsey um, book, but as somebody who like, if you're, if, if you're playing the game to keep on playing it, right. Um, as opposed to playing the game to win it, which I suppose is the infinite finite kind of distinction. Um, it's, it's just so much more interesting to talk to infinite players. I, I um, you know, Luke, I, I see, uh, you know, you work for Mariani and, and, and I've heard, I've heard uh, Frank talk um, and I've talked to him a couple of times and it's just this, there's this, there's this thing to talking to somebody who is so, for whom this is so clearly not a means to an end, right? That, that dude just loves his job. And I meet people like that and that's what I want. Uh, you know, I, I'd love to work for that guy, I don't want to personally making some private equity group more rich is not something that I'm super excited to dedicate my life to. No, no problems with that. Like that. And that's cool that that's, that's, that's a way of organizing a business. And I'm, it's definitely my um, privilege, right? That that's not the situation we're in here, but that version of the story, right? People who are landscaping because they want to landscape. If this thing shut down, like I'm trying to pull weeds in your guys' yards. Like I know that about myself and I'd be fun as hell for me. Yeah. I mean, you know, <clears throat> working with Frank, it's just, it's one of those things. He, he loves what he does. Uh, and that's the way he treats his people. And, you know, he wants everybody here to be happy and love what they do at the end of the day. And if you're, you know, if, if you have an idea, bring it forth, talk to him and he'll, he'll find something. He wants everybody who's here to be uh, happy with what they're doing and the career path that they're going down and gives them the power to help make those decisions that in the long run, the company is going to be better because of it. 
Right. I mean, I was li- a, people's yeah. lives are going to be happier and, you know, and all that. It's, it's, it's great when you, when you can find a place like that and uh, compared to some, some of the operations that are, like you said, you know, working for a big uh, equity firm or that's backed by an equity firm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, and, and, and for the people who work for him directly, but like I, I went to landscapes, right. And I'm a nobody on a bus, right. And you can feel it when you talk to somebody where it's like, who are you? Where do you come from? I can't place you. Thank you for asking me your question. Here's a superficial answer. I'm going to move on. Right. Or somebody like Frank Mariani, who like seemed like I left that conversation with him feeling way better about myself and being in this industry. And it was like, I'm so glad I got to stand next to that guy on a bus. Like that's, that's, and that's the gift of this, right? Like it's an industry that, I mean, it's just, it's so hard. I don't understand why people choose to work in this if they don't love it. That's always been confusing to me, right? But there are so many people who do, and, and I'm, I'm just, I'm excited. I'm excited to grow that version of the conversation. I, I don't think the time's ever been more right. You know, when we, when we think about, you know, kind of like a Young Professionals Network podcast, right? Like the millennial generation just peaked in the American kind of workforce penetration, right? To the total American workforce. And it's not going to fully peak until 2030, right? And most of the people who landscape, who physically landscape, right? Um, today are way younger than the people who own and run these businesses. Like, that's weird, right? Like I wanna do cool things with my friends. Cool things specifically being like mowing, enhancements, you know, some construction projects when we have excess labor. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, h- how do you see the current workforce or, or current companies adjusting to the current situation being the pandemic and, um, or coming out of it you know, shortly here? How, how do you think that's changed the nature of what we do, if at all? Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm not one to spend a lot. I probably don't think as much about things that affect all of us the same, right, as things that might affect one or some of us differently, right? So, like, I think that companies who really focus on supporting, so, so our addressable market, right, is Omaha plus, call it 50 miles. And so, um like we just need to support people who want to commit their careers to landscaping better than other people who are trying to do the same thing in Omaha plus 50 miles. And I think that um, if you come from a place consistently of this not being a means to an end, but the end actually being right, trying to solve a clear problem, supporting a group of people and doing that, if that's actually the end, I think that a lot of other good things come from that. And so the, the pandemic has been really, really hard. It's been particularly hard on, um, uh, we, we employ a lot of, of immigrant, um, Latino immigrant um, men and women, a lot of whom um, have um, undocumented uh, family and, and friends. Like that's been horribly hard. And I mean, there's the, there's the practical toll of, of, of this, but then there's like the, the, the emotional side of that. And yeah, just how do we come from a place of care, understanding that what we're going to do is never going to be enough and never having the expectation, right. For somebody to say, thank you for us doing like re- what, what is reasonable as an employer and acting anyway. And I think we've learned a lot as a company kind of trying to, to do that. Those conversations happened before pandemic uh, at some level, or did this just uh, explore an area that you'd never really thought you'd have to discuss? In what sense? 
just that that care and understanding i mean uh maybe to the depths uh and maybe just again from a health perspective more than just a a feel and oh i got you yeah i i mean i personally like a lot of us kind of grew up here together right like i i'll always be a kid to a lot of the people that work here and so um you know when you think about how to be of support like what, what can I actually do to be useful? That, that seems pretty consistently the most useful thing I can do. And so when you, you know, I had a guy who, who worked here um, for, so he started here in 1998 and he quit three years ago. And that was one of those. And one of the people, like one of the people, when I reflected on like, what do I want to do with a career um, that winter, my sophomore year of college, like one of those people who I really looked up to, who just was always, was always happy to show up. Right. And he quit when I was running this company. And that was like a harrowing moment for me, right? Like what the hell, you know, if it's not about making an environment where, and he went to work for another landscape company, right? And if this isn't about, if like, if I can't do that, if I can't support him, you know, a, a, a hungry and humble and smart man, first generation Mexican immigrant, um, I don't know what else we're doing here. And so I suppose like, you know, kind of increasing problems made us focus on that in an increasing amount and to a point that, yeah, it's, it's, it's primarily what I think and talk about. It, it, I, I share in that same perspective and just, it, it just broadened the horizon of what many of our people are going through and how we support them in a much deeper way and through conversations. And, and, and again, I think pandemic just said, you know, as everyone's staying healthy, would explore, you know, the family dynamics that people are living within and understanding that, that complexities and just, uh, it broadened, um, the, I think the sense of responsibility we have to the team, um, more than I ever had in the past. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, this business grew constrained primarily on sales. Like we could grow as fast as we could find new clients. I think in the last five years, it's been confusing for us as a business because we've been able to grow as fast as we were able to source, you know, to recruit and retain people to work here. And I think that, and I understand why it's frustrating. I don't know any different, right? I've never, never known a time where there were just like a bunch of people who are trying to landscape. Like that sounds, that sounds weird. Um, but I think that being constrained on people, I think leads to, it's, it's a virtuous circle. And I think it leads to better business because we, we just, we have to become better employers. And that's more interesting to me than, I mean, I don't know what the alternative is. I feel yeah. like there's never been an easier time to jump in towards being committed to the whole person that works for you, not just the employee, right? Um, the, the conversations around how's your family doing, you know, what's up with the kids, like, that conversation is so natural and easy right now because of all the flux of schools of, of whatever. Um, I think it, it creates a, a chance for managers who have never felt comfortable with that to really jump in in a big, meaningful way. Um, and, you know, I don't know that that paradigm is going to shift in the next five or 10 years where the, the number of willing employees is going to outweigh the demand, right? Um, I think that this is like a, a very much the marketplace that we're in as an industry. 
Right. And even if it, even if it does change, right. Does it change how we need approach it? You know, like I, I think Definitely I just, not, pref- yeah. I, pref- I prefer it this way. You and your entire staff. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to ask them. I'm sure they'd have more, right. they'd have more choice words. Right. I was, uh, uh, it was pretty tough to be around right there in my teens. <laughs> I, I like the, I also like this, that going deeper as leaders of the company, that sense of responsibility, but that has trickled down greater uh, to middle managers and, and, and those relationships are, you know, even more essential as they know all the team, they know all the kids and the families and, and, and it, and it pushed that responsibility beyond myself to, to others. And I think we brought together a wonderful team that cares a lot about each other. Um, but it just went further and further through, through these last months. Um, totally. I mean, we, you, you get the, a lot like, uh, can't I just do my job? No, 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 no. I, I, I'm trying to be very clear right now. This is your job here, right? To care personally, right? And I, I think that um, it would be easier, easier, less meaningful, but easier if that wasn't part of it. So I understand why people try so hard to convince themselves that, you know, no, they don't really care about money. It's usually something else and they don't really care about whether or not, you know, you just, I, what they really care about is the stuff that's easiest for me to deliver. (laughs) The hell do you say to that? (laughs) Yeah. You'll find that one out in the wrong way really quickly. Yeah. uh, Right. Go ahead. Try that out there with that one person. Just come back in a couple of minutes. I don't know how it went. Yeah. Oh, you have four kids and you know, a mortgage. Is it really about the money? (laughs) (laughs) I, that that top twenty five percent speak more to that. What mo- uh, in terms of the pay piece there? What motivated you, or what drove you to like be very clear and concise what what your goal is there? Oh, I just I just couldn't figure out how we like. It was just confusing. I I I, I guess one of the gifts of our industry is there's we didn't have a strong stance on it, so I suppose we kind of had to 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 think about it pretty foundationally. And it's like, okay, like, what's this based on? People keep coming to me and talking to me, like telling me they need raises. Like what, I don't, I don't know what that means. Right. And so we had to think about it. And the way we think about pay here is, um, you know, kind of two things. Like we want to, we calibrate what we call pay targets to, you know, um, those positions in the marketplace. Um, and then we calibrate where someone falls in a band extended around that pay target um, based on the years that they've done the job. And then, you know, just how remarkably they perform that job's key functions is how we talk about it. And it was the only reasonable way we could find to consistently distribute um, our team um, kind of, I don't know, the, the whole team across uh, all these different positions and be able to adjust that pay um, quickly uh, as the market moved. So right in the last three years, um, because we spent some time really building out this infrastructure, uh, we were able to give significant, um, what we call uh, kind of pay adjustments. Um, I think we did it twice last year and we were able to do it uniformly um, and have better conversations with someone's like, I want more money. And it's like, like same, but, um, 
the, the peer market, if what you're saying is that you're undercompensated for the job you're doing, like, let's talk about that. I just had a chemical applicator who works for us say, hey, man, got the annual recruiting letters, like, let's talk, right? In our market, when you take that test, our chemical applicators get letters with a bunch of job offers with dollars. So we look at those and we calibrate the, the pay band for our three levels of chemical applicator and distribute the pay over that. It's working for us right now. Um, but yeah, how we got there, I couldn't figure out the other way where people just can kind of like keep it all in their brain and like, you know, it's just this constant negotiation. Yeah. And, and that reality is going to be facing more and more people, right? Um, the current administration is really starting to hammer hard on a $15 minimum wage nationally. But even despite that, more than 30% of the nation is, is already on the track to $15 an hour minimum wage at the state level. So um, it's yeah, it's, and market market rates are way above that anyway. And they're going to be exactly. And uh, I, I, personally, I think it won't be long before you'll be you'll be probably doubling your pay for a lot of the labor. And uh, the only question is, are you able to sell it now, or are you going to wait for everybody to figure it out? And this is and then we talk about top twenty. We want to pay top twenty five percent. We want to charge top fifty percent, right? And the space in between is our operational efficiency, right? And, and that's, um, if anyone has a, and, and we made that up in a closet in Omaha, Nebraska. So if anybody's got a better idea for how to do this, I'm available. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's the fundamental tension of, of a landscape business, right? We wanna, we wanna charge our customers as little as possible. We wanna pay the people that work here as much as possible. If we get those two things done, we'll stay in business over time. I, I would think that you can do better than top 50%. As a general listener to this podcast, somebody involved in the association, um, you know, you're already in, in the top 20% of landscapers nationally, and the pricing should correlate, is my personal opinion, right? Um, just, I, just I, like to, I, I, liked, I like the idea of the more efficient we get, the cheaper we can, the, the less expensive we can, we can deliver our service. I mean, like I, we well, have cost of capital, like for sure, but. Yeah, you, you can. I mean, so my, my experience was competing in the, the national broker market, right? Which is very beat up, very cheap. You know, the landscaping you see at the big box stores or, or the convenience stores, right? And our efficiencies allowed us to be cheaper than the average landscaper as a result, but we still priced ourselves 30% above the average wholesaler of those services in the marketplace. Right. So it depends on the market, I think. Oh, totally. And, and I think it probably depends on what you're trying to do with the business, you know, um, nothing, nothing that I, I think you, the more you charge, the more you can't support the people uh, who make the team up. And I think, I think that's virtuous. I, I think that, um, but if you're really doing this right to keep on doing it, not necessarily as a means to an end, you know, I suppose the, the, the number that moves the higher, right. You're able to charge the most variable number on, on, on the P and L is probably income. And if you're disciplined on your cost of capital, right? At some point when income expands, like, do you lower your prices? Or do you pay the people that work for you more? If you, if, if this true, if you're truly in business to stay in business. Um, 
the relationship is just critical here. Those combinations, just thinking the way that you're thinking through it, I think is what the listeners need to recognize uh, that, you know, you've got the best paid people, but you aren't moving your sales in the right direction, or you got the best, you know, the sales machine, but you're not paying like none of that is going to work without each other. Uh, and that operational efficiency is just is a critical piece. So I, I, I think this, the biggest link is just identifying that they each have a relationship um, and in a very quick, simple way that you, you sort of just reference it and you guide your teams to think that way too. It's put that frame of reference in the right way. Right. No, definitely. Very interesting stuff, but we'll have to leave it for another podcast probably. So um, make your longtime listener, you know, that we conclude with Rose and Thorn and uh, something going well for us and, and something uh, maybe a little sticky. Uh, we usually go on a week by week basis. You're free to share anything that's happened because you've never shared before. So um, Brett or Luke, you want to kick it off? Go for it, Luke. Um, let's see, Rose this week. Um, back to a normal sleeping schedule again, which is nice. Uh, but um, let's see. Uh, we've had some, you know, kind of tying a lot of this in with, you know, talking about efficiencies and things like that. We've been really ha- trying to hammer that home with us this year and just find ways to be- improve our efficiencies uh, as a company as a whole. And uh, just have had some really good productive meetings when we're not plowing snow, it seems like, uh, to to find those those little little nuggets where we can improve upon ourselves that, you know, get back to pay our guys more money, you know, keep our prices fair to our clients. So, uh yeah, we're, I think we're getting there and coming up with some good ideas. Um, also happy that the Packers lost this past weekend. I'm, uh, I made it, I made it known last week on the, on the episode that, uh, they are not my most favorite team, even though I am from, even though I am from Wisconsin. So, um, you know, looking kind of, kind of happy about that. Uh, as far as thorns go, I don't think I really have anything this week. Uh, you know, brain's a little foggy still, but <laughs> we'll get there. I'll, I'll move quickly past the bills, unfortunate uh, demise, but, um, uh, and there is um, probably, you know, from a thorn standpoint, um, no, no big parts of that. I, uh, I find myself being very appreciative of industry conversations or peer conversations and maybe about this world. This weekly call is last week I had, I'm on a weekly call with a collaborative of eight of us. And then I have a peer group meeting. It was, I found myself in an intense amount of conversations with peers and the referencing, it just keeps you in a frame of reference, keeps those conversations thoughtful. And so uh, I'm not getting lost in the day to days or just the, of, of what we can usually get sucked into. And I'm able to keep my mind uh, focused. And so very appreciative of you all and these kind of conversations and, and just the ability of our industry to, to want to talk to each other. Yeah. I, I'm in a similar space right now, Brett. Um, we have our sales boot camp program kicking off middle of February and just so excited to be back in that mindset and coaching people and helping them um, increase that profit and increase that market share. So it's a exciting time. There's some work, but um, I don't know if I'd label it a thorn. Um, just generally excited to uh, be talking sales again. That's my jam. So Mick, something to share? Yeah, th- thorn. Um, 
be hard not to talk about COVID, right? And, and figuring out how we as a business can best support the people that, uh, that work here. Um, and if, if there's a rose, I, I really liked how we talked about it on this podcast, but I, I do think that, I do think that what's happening in, in the labor market is good for uh, the people that, that really are doing the work here. And if we can figure out, as long as we're disciplined on figuring out how to continue to charge to support um, these like fat, these quickly inc increasing wages, I think it'll be, it'll be really, really good for this place. Awesome stuff. Well, Nick, thank you so much for joining us on growing in the green industry. It was a great conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I know Brett and Luke feel the same. And I know our, our listeners feel the same too. Thank you to our listeners. Uh, if you like what we are putting out there, we'd love if you would suggest future topics, leave us a five-star rating, or share this podcast with your colleagues, friends, family members. We don't really care who listens as long as a lot of people do and get benefit from it. So we will talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Take care. Thanks, thanks guys.